for all of us. Last week was our annual World Missions Conference, speaking of heart being blessed, with the theme, Making Christ Known, a glorious time of preaching, prayer, praise. We were challenged, and I trust changed. We were convicted, and I trust convinced that we as the people of God are to be used of him to make Christ known in our day. And I didn't want to just immediately and abruptly leave that theme. I've done this a number of times with uh, missions conferences. We'll either do a preparatory message uh, the Sunday before or a closing wrap-up the Sunday after because I want it to really see a lot of effort went into a tremendous theme. So I want it, I want it to uh, really make a mark in the life of the church that we truly would understand that our calling is to make Christ known. So I'm hopeful this morning, as well as this evening, going to be bringing a message on personal evangelism. And I'm hopeful that this will prove to be both motivational and practical as we look at the practice of making Christ known. We're going to look at one verse in Romans and then just reference Uh, some passages in the book of Exodus. If you'd make your way to the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 12. Now, as you know, most of the Pauline letters, most of the uh, epistles of the Apostle Paul uh, are divided, and usually divided uh, fairly obviously, with the first section of the letter being that which is doctrinal or theological in nature, uh, dealing with weighty doctrine. And then the next portion, sometimes half, sometimes more on one side than the other, the next portion deals with the practical, the outworking, the actual uh, putting the boots on and the shoe leather on and walking it out on the, in the pavement of life. And the book of Romans uh, is classic for that. In the first 11 chapters, especially the first eight chapters, dealing uh, with the subject of justification by faith. Then chapters 9 through 11 are parenthetical, dealing with the nation of Israel. But then picking up in chapter 12 through chapter 16 is the very practical section of the book of Romans. And so I call us to look at the transitional verse, that which takes it out of the purely theological, doctrinal, into the practical is chapter one, uh, uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. How do you know that that's the case? Because he shifts gears. He says, therefore, I beseech you, I plead with you, I, I beg you, uh, I, uh, I call upon you in the strongest way, brethren. Therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Two primary points, if you're taking notes this morning, about the practice of making Christ known. First, the motivation. What is the motivation? And we're told what the motivation is right in the very first part of verse 1. Therefore, by virtue of the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God, what you've just learned in chapters 1 through the end of chapter 11. And by the way, if you would, you want to have a, a refresh and a new glory fit, look at the end of chapter 11, verse 33. I, I didn't have this in my notes. I wasn't going to share it, uh, but it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. In verse 33 of chapter 11, 
oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Get a load out of what he has done in the justification by faith of those who believe and have turned to Christ. The depth of those riches, uh, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him that it should be recompensed or paid back to him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, by virtue of this, it goes on to give the practical outworking of that life in Christ. And so chapter 12 and verse 1 is the transitional verse, and it begins with the motivation. By virtue of the mercies of God, do this. In other words, we have a debt, a love debt to God. In our hearts, believers are motivated to serve him with our all. Now, what is it which compels us to do that? Because we're not trying to buy his favor. We can't do that. Uh, Who is first given to God that God would then pay him back? No one has. It's rhetorical. No one has ever given anything. No one has ever offered anything to the Lord which would be satisfying for the payment of sin. God provided that. So therefore, what is it that he has done? Well, in chapters 1 through 11, we're told that we're received by, uh, by him through grace. We've been chosen. We've been predestined. We're called beloved of God. We are the saints of God, holy ones. We've received peace. We've been saved. We've been declared righteous. We're justified. We are redeemed. We're forgiven. We're reconciled. We have access to God. We are children of God. We're servants of righteousness. We are brethren one of another, and we're not condemned. Other than that, he hasn't done anything for us. (laughs) By virtue of all of this, in light of what he has done, my motivation is to follow him passionately, to hold on to him tenaciously, to share him vigorously, making him known. My motivation is because of how much I love him. And love for God is the best motivation that we can have. In fact, it says in Psalm 116, 12, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? It's not that I'm going to give him something other than I'm going to surrender my life. It's not a payment for forgiveness. It is a statement of gratefulness. And so when I serve the Lord, and as I make Christ known, it's to be because I am, I, I so love him. I, I am so grateful that it's as if I'm in debt. Not that I can pay him back, but, but I want to express it, express the love, let it overflow out of my life. In fact, my, uh, my favorite uh, hymn writer, hymn composer, Isaac Watts wrote this. He says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life my soul, my all. And so I give myself 
to that as a child of God. You are called to give yourself that to be your motivation. Why do we have a missions conference? Why do we support missionaries? Why am I to witness on the job in, in, the, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, and all the rest? Because of the mercies of God that I've experienced. Of course I ought to have my life poured out as an offering for him by virtue of what he has done for me. Let God's glory be your approach to missions. I, you know, I am more committed. You know, I, I, I say this understanding that it's a work of God. I'm more committed today to the work of God in this world, to making Christ known, than I was five years ago, than I was 20 years ago, than I was 40 years ago. Well, why is that, preacher? Were you a backslider back there? Were you, uh, were you carnal back then or, or the like? No. It's just simply because I have grown in him. I know him better, so I want to make him known more through my life. That's a good thing, amen? So we have a missions conference every year. We support missionaries. We get reports back from missionaries and the like so that our hearts will stay hot for the things of God. I love him more now than I ever have because I'm closer to him and I know him better. Therefore, I want to make him known in a greater way way a greater expression of that John Piper wrote when the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth the light of missions will shine to the most remote people on earth smoke was everywhere the the doorposts were quaking and shaking almost breaking (laughs) the seraphim were Hovering all over. Holy, holy, holy. And what was the response? Isaiah said, God, would you use me? Will you send even me? Can I make a difference in this world to the degree? You know what the, the prophet's book called Isaiah is also called? What it's known as? The Bible within the Bible. It has 66 chapters. The first 39 are doom and gloom. The last 27 are grace and relationship. It parallels Scripture. Is that by accident? No, it's not by accident. It's by by divine design. And so, yes, when he said, here am I, send me. Can I be used? And folks, you can say that if you're a child of God. If you will say that in your heart, and if I will in my heart, if I'm truly born again, I'm truly blood-bought, I know the Savior, then to make him known, you're not going to have to twist God's arm for that. You're going to fall right in step with his will for your life. I will also. So, worship in missions. Uh, Proclaiming him from a heart motivated by gratefulness for his mercies is always the will of God for the child of God. Secondly, not only are we given in verse 1 the motivation for making Christ known, we're also given the mechanism for making Christ known. Notice at the end of verse 1, by virtue of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The mechanism. This is the how-to. And notice the first thing it says is present. Well, earlier in this book, in chapter 6, two or three times, 
the word yield is, is the very same word. Uh, it's translated yield. Here it's, here it's translated present. And it's that idea. It, uh, it is that idea of yielding, of making oneself totally. It is me saying, God, I am at your disposal. Who will go for us? In that inner Trinitarian conversation in Isaiah 6. And Isaiah said, I'll do that. I'll represent you in a lost and depraved world. I'll shine his light in this day, Isaiah said. And the example is that we are to say the same thing. Now notice, what are we to yield? What are we to present? It says your bodies. And yet it's more than flesh and blood, skin and bones. It's more than that because it makes it analogous to an animal sacrifice. How much of the animal was sacrificed when that animal was a sacrificial offering? How much of it? All of it. It it, it was totally killed, right? It wasn't partially killed. It wasn't partially dead. I think that's from some movie. It wasn't mostly dead. That's, That's what the quote is. It was all dead. Uh, All of it was offered. And it was dead. It was a dead sacrifice, which was an atonement, a covering for sin for those who believed. Those who looked for the Lamb of God. Looked for the one that Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. He'll take care of that. And God himself took on humanity to be that perfect substitute. And so, we're to present not just flesh and blood, skin and bones, but our, the, the, the entirety of our being. It's being a lev, liv, living vessels who are continually offered to the Lord. Notice the living sacrifice. You're to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. We're to offer from the heart, generated, motivated by love and commitment, all that I am. Now, think about that. You say, preacher, uh, I thought we were only supposed to bring a 10% offering. How much of what you have was generated, created, originated with you by yourself? How much of it? None. Where did you get your, your ability to think? Where did you get your capacity to uh, to earn a nickel? Uh, where did you get your, uh, uh, your ability to, uh, to learn a, a song on the piano like Dion just played and all? Who gave us all that we have? God did. So it's all his. It's really the mechanism is an issue of stewardship. Will you do, will I do with what God has entrusted to me what he has called me to do? In fact, scripture says he's given us everything which pertains to life and godliness. In following him, the Lord has given me all that I need. Now notice also uh, about this living sacrifice, this living offering. It's to be holy. It's to be acceptable unto God. A sacrificial animal in the Old Testament could not be, have blemishes. Uh, it couldn't be lame. It couldn't be the leftover, uh, the runt of the litter. It had to be the very best and we're to be living sacrifices who desire our conduct to match our convictions, our behavior to match our belief, so that we might be a credible witness in making Christ known. That it can really be said, you really do want to model him. You really do want to 
following him. She really is an example of what it means to live a life pleasing unto the Lord. God wants those kinds of offerings. Um, I even thought about this this week. I, I want to live. Now, I do not do it. Uh, and I have been convicted of sin in my life. Uh, maybe, maybe especially of late more. I don't, I don't know. Why, why, why would I be more or less sensitive? I don't know. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I don't know the way God moves and, and works in that exactly. Other than uh, I know it, it, it happens. That you are convicted. You are bothered uh, by sin. But I want to conduct my life in such a way that makes God smile. <laughs> Can, I don't know that that happens literally. I don't have any text on it. But you get, you get the, the meaning of it. That it warms the heart of God when I am in a spirit of dependence on him, holding on to the grace of God and wanting to honor him in and through my life. Now notice at the end of verse 1, it is your reasonable service, King James says. King, uh, uh, King James Version is, uh, translates it reasonable service. I'm not, I'm not totally okay with that, but I'm not okay with many of the other translations either. It's not spiritual worship. Many translations say that. Uh, at least in my exegesis, it's not. But it's better stated, it's your logical duty. In light of all he has done, and in light of who you are in Christ, it only follows that I will be a holy living sacrifice. It would be, uh, it would be uh, incongruous in light of all he's done, uh, in, uh, in how he has made me forgiven, redeemed, heaven-bound, sealed, secure, spirit-filled. It would be incongruous for me to then just kind of do my own thing. What? That, that doesn't fit. That doesn't make sense. That couldn't be. Not if God is doing that work. I like what uh, MacArthur wrote about this thought. He says, the key to the Victorian, victorious Christian life is not trying to get all we can from God, but give and yield all we are. It's not getting more, it's giving all. Now, that's not necessarily talking about emptying your wallet. It, it may be talking about that. But it's the totality of my being. A living sacrifice is all of me is to be offered unto him. You remember the missionary, uh, a well-known missionary, William Borden. My, my father's name, as a matter of fact. He, he wasn't named after him. I'm sure my grandparents didn't know of Borden of Yale. But Borden of Yale, a century or so ago, maybe 120 years ago, uh, was set to inherit the fortune of, of the Borden Corporation. And instead, God called him to be a missionary uh, to a, a, a pagan land. How many people did he win on the foreign field? How many? Zero. Why? He died. He died en route. And yet, when his classmates said, stay here, stay in the great northeast, live in Boston, live in New York, live in Philadelphia, and generate money to support missionaries, you can do a lot more with what you can have by giving it away than you going yourself. 
And he wrote first in his Bible, no reserves. I'm not holding anything back. God has called me. Isaiah, who will go? I'll go. Borden of Yale, will you go? I'll go. And then when he contracted, uh, I believe, meningitis. I didn't review my notes on that, but I think so. And they said, go back. You're headed to China, India? India, and and en route, contracted meningitis. Go back. Maybe they can help you. This is a century ago. He said, no retreats. I'm not, I don't care about the money that I'm missing out on. And the issue is not how long I live, it's how I live. Amen? It's not counting the days, it's making the days count. It's stewardship. Making Christ known is stewardship. And then, just before he died, writing on the third line, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And arguably, he has been a great, as great a source of inspiration in missions as anyone, and he never made it to the field. Didn't see one person converted. Never shared the gospel with one person in his appointed field. And yet, we revere and applaud his life and ministry. To make Christ known, the mechanism is an issue of stewardship. Now, we're not going to turn to the passages because you're likely familiar with it. Brother Saylor, not knowing I was going to share this, me not knowing he was going to share what he shared, I wonder who knew. Read from the book of Exodus chapter 28, I think, if I remember correctly, about the priestly garments of how they're to serve in the tabernacle. And there was great detail there. They had to be clothed correctly. And by the way, if you're going to serve God, you have to be clothed correctly. You have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so if you're saved, you're clothed properly. And then it goes on in Exodus, the book of Exodus, uh, and describes not just how you're to be clothed, but where God is to be housed, for lack of a better uh, term. And in the tabernacle, his glory would be present. Problem is, they just came out of Egypt. They were given permission to take various items with them, back wages from 400 and some years. And so they did. And even though they're in the wilderness, no jobs, didn't know what their future was going to be specifically, Moses said, build a tabernacle according to these instructions that God had given him. And in Exodus 35, 1 through 3, you're welcome to turn to it if you'd like, but it speaks of that they are to intentionally consider the importance of time as they are going about this work. Now, don't hear me preaching Sabbath observance. The issue is not coming to church on Sunday. There aren't any Christian Sabbaths other than Christ himself. He is our rest. And when we are in Christ, we are at rest in him. We work from a place of rest. But the issue is, does he have priority in my life? 
So the issue of time is an issue of priority. Am I checking in to a worship service? Okay, I've get, I'm giving you an hour. Okay, it's, it's done. Uh, therefore, I put in my duty. That, that's bondage. That's legalism. That's not freedom. See, the issue is my whole, all of my time belongs to God. Every second, all 168 hours in the week, do the math times 60 for minutes, do the math times another 60 for seconds, and all of that and the spaces in the nanoseconds, brother Maceo, in between those seconds, belong to the Lord. And so, I am to practically make Christ known by making optimal use of the time God has given me. In fact, Ephesians 5.16 says, redeem, buy up every opportunity because the days are evil and they're increasing in being evil more the more. So as you have opportunity, um, take advantage of that. You know, uh, I thought of something this week. Our church, God's church here on this corner, RBBC, is becoming increasingly more and more out of step, not with the world. We're becoming more and more increasingly out of step with American Christianity, so-called. We're a little bit uh, of a dinosaur in that our experience in the body of Christ is not the best I can tell the vast majority of you, if not all of you. It is not a duty to perform. It is a delight which we enjoy when we are members one of another. That is not uh, the American church. We are out of step. Used to be, back in the day, not anymore. So we've been given an allotted amount of time. Psalm 39.4 says, Lord, make me to know mine end. And the measure of my days. We've only been given a little bit of time to make Christ known. And opportunity lost is gone. I'm not mystical, as you know. And I don't know what it is when you have a, a holy nudge. But have you ever had the, the experience of all of a sudden... I want to witness. I have a desire. I have a burden to witness to this person, my neighbor, my coworker. And then you not do it. Anybody identify with me being a rebel? None of the rest of you are rebels. Some of you are. You're shaking your heads. I'll give you another opportunity, rebel. Will you, will you join me? <clears throat> I don't like it when that happens. And that's not, that's not syrupy signs and wonders and all. There's something that goes on. When you encounter someone, Jennifer, at the hut, the mud hut, a decade ago with the 20-year-old woman that we went to visit, totally clueless that she was on her deathbed. And we were startled. She looked like she was dead lying there. She was able to barely sit up with her grandmother, who looked like she was 197, holding her. And I said to this gal through a translator, do you know you're dying this weekend? This week you are dying. 
And she said, yeah. I said, you don't have any time. Do you know that? She shook her head. She, tears flowing down. Couldn't even hardly breathe. Couldn't move. Tears absolutely pouring out of her eyes. I said through the translator, and how, how do you feel approaching that? Terrified. Why? Why are you terrified? Because I'm a sinner, and I'm going to face God in so many words. Shared the gospel with her through the translator. She prayed earnestly, God, save me, forgive me. I believe in you. I'm trusting you. I'm receiving your forgiveness, and I mean it. 18 hours later, she's with the Lord. You only have a little bit of time and opportunities that God gives you within that time. Secondly, Moses told the people, whatever you can do, utilize your talents. Are you a craftsman? Are you a plumber? Are you an electrician? Are you a pilot? Are you a nurse? Are you, uh, are you a homemaker? Are you a gardener? Whatever it might be, it doesn't matter what it is because God has equipped you for that. Utilize that for his service. In fact, it says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his poetry in motion, the word workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God ordained it before, and we're to walk in it now. You might be saying, preacher, that's your job. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I don't feel well. I don't know if I can commit to serve. I don't know if I can afford to give to missions. <clears throat> I, know of a, I know of a response. I don't know how to spell it. But it sounds like... <laughs> it sounds like baloney. Because you have all you need. To fulfill his will. He's given me all things that I need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now it might not be what I do. And, and, and what I do might not be what you do. Probably wouldn't be. We're not cookie cutters. We're individual, uh, individually gifted. And talents and opportunities and, and the like. But he has equipped you in some way. And so I'm just simply exhorting you to pour out your life as an offering to him, as a stewardship of your time and of your talents. And of course, you knew what the third one was going to be. Maximize your treasure. And in Exodus chapter 35, it talks about them bringing their offering and bringing it and yielding it to God and saying, this is the Lord's. And I would say to you, uh, if you are a Red Bridger, if you are a member here, which means that you're older than 16, because you have to be a 16-year-old at least to, to be a member as well as saved and baptized and the like, every single one of us, every one, and I want you to prove to me, so I'll stop saying it, uh, that what I'm saying is not accurate. Every single one of us can and should be involved in missions giving of our treasure. Even if it means... $10 a month. Uh, say, preacher, I don't have $10. Even if it means a dollar a month. You see, the Lord is interested in our hearts. The Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord before they did any kind of mission support. So if your heart is given to him 
and you are not regularly, consistently, sacrificially giving to missions, then you'll have to tell God why you can't. Because your time is his, your, your talents are his, the treasure you have is his. And he calls us to give. These folks were in 400 years of bondage and wandering in the wilderness. And Moses said, we're, making, we're building this huge structure. And there's a lot of gold in this structure. You bring an offering, all of you. And in chapter 36 of Exodus, it's written, the people brought more than was enough. Moses said, send out an order to all the tribes, stop giving. (laughs) Lots of Baptist church pastors say that all the time. Stop giving. Exodus chapter 36. You see, folks, Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. It's not if you have money. It's does money have you? Does money have you? Are you hungry to preserve your time, your talents, and your treasure? Making Christ known is an issue of stewardship. First, my heart loves him for his mercy. And then I recognize I'm a living sacrifice, broken and spilled out for him. In the book of Exodus, they were members one of another. And the difference was, God moved in and dwelt, his glory dwelt in the tabernacle. And it was manifested with clouds, pillar of fire, manna on the ground in the morning, water coming from the rock and the like. They were members one of another because they yielded their time, their talents, their treasure. For us, we're living sacrifices. We're to be wholly acceptable unto God because it's the logical response of a redeemed life. Are you practically making Christ known as a wise steward? Coming right now to put an exclamation point on this message, I've asked him to as chairman of deacons and one of our favorite soloists around here, because of his heart, not because of his voice, but more because of his heart, I would argue. It's Chuck Wainscott to share with us an exhortation, a reminder to be broken and spilled out for love, because of love for the Lord.
it was broken and spilled out a fragrance filled all the room like a prisoner released from his shackles like a spirit set free from the tomb broken and spilled out just for love of you Jesus my most precious on thee broken and spilled out and poured at your feet in sweet abandon precious treasure his loved and his own perfect son sent here to show me the love of the father just for love it was And though you were perfect and holy, you gave up yourself willingly. You spared no expense for my pardon. You were used up and wasted for me, broken and spilled out, just for love of me, Jesus, God's most precious treasure lavished on me broken and spilled out and poured at my
spilled out and used up for me. that you were that for us by virtue of the mercies of God. And now you call us to be broken and spilled out for thee as wise stewards. Seal these truths to our hearts. We're going to stand